All right, I want to paint a mental picture for you guys this morning. It is 2003. I am beginning my freshman year of high school. I'm about five foot four, five foot five, depending on what shoes I'm wearing that day. About 120 pounds soaking wet. I'm starting to get some awesome acne. My teeth are at that place where you know you need braces, but you're just not there yet. And for whatever reason, I thought it was a good idea to try to grow out my hair. And it looked very much like if the Beatles had like a guy with blonde hair who didn't shower a lot. That's kind of the mental image of my long hair in that moment. I'm probably wearing a really cool shirt I got at JCPenney that has like uh, some sort of cartoon on it. And I'm walking through the hallway of my high school feeling pretty good. And I'll never forget, it's about the first or second week of my freshman year, and I'm walking through this area in my high school that they called the Senior Commons. And the Senior Commons was this area where there's, like, windows are all on the side. Uh, there are, like, bench seating. There's this big G that, of course, during, you know, like, Spirit Week and all that, you don't step on the G because I went to Greenville High School, birthplace of Meyer. Uh, shout out Yellow Jackets. And... Uh, And juniors and seniors would sit there, and let's be honest, we all know every high school kind of has the terrible kind of like class, like this click sort of thing. And this definitely kind of fit where the cool kids sat type of thing, which obviously, as you know, I did not sit there uh, ever. But I'll never forget when you're, you know, when you're an underclassman, if you have to walk through that hallway, you keep your head down. You do not make eye contact. You just try to make it through. And so I'm walking through, looking down at my feet, and all of a sudden I hear a female voice that says, hey, you, come here. Now, in that moment, I look up after she says it twice, and I lock eyes with this senior girl who was kind of one of, like, the it girls. I can't remember her name, but I remember she was pretty good looking. And she's looking at me saying, hey, you, come here. Now, I'm kind of feeling pretty good about myself, like... You know, I showered that morning. I'm pretty sure I put on deodorant on both sides. And uh, I was feeling pretty good. And so I start walking over to her, and she kind of bends down. And I'm like, no, this is kind of odd. And she says, you are so cute. Are you here visiting your older brother? Quite literally, the life sucked out of me. You know, it's funny. If I had a little bit more self-awareness... I probably would have known that when a girl like that was trying to say hi to me, who was four years older than me, I probably wouldn't have let my uh, emotions get so excited to be dashed so quickly. This morning, we are beginning a new series called Relatable. And in this series, we're going to be talking about relationships. And we're not talking about relationships from the standpoint of necessarily marriage or romantic relationships, but just relationships in general. Because the reality is, is that we are a very relational people. And that we have a very relational God. That God uh, has always, from the very beginning, been a relational God. A God who has chosen himself to be quite literally in relationship as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But also he has chosen time and time again to engage in relationship with each of us. That his hope for the world has constantly been through having relationship with his creation. So that way he can bring the relationship that was broken back into good standing. Now, Christianity in itself is a relational movement, and it moves in three uh, ways in particular. It goes upward towards God, it goes outward towards our neighbor, and it goes inward to our souls. Now, our souls, we know, is different than just our life, right? 
I mean, this body that we have someday is going to break down and die. We don't get to keep it. But our soul, which is our, our inside, it is, it is quite literally, the way I like to think about the soul, the soul is this thing in which God, when he originally created us, he gave us this soul. And in many ways, it is this, this special sort of thing that he has that he wants for us to be so in sync with him. That he wants our, our, our inmost being to become who he created us to be and to be in connection with us. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about these uh, different uh, relationships and different ways that we're engaging. Uh, but Jesus, he said this. He said the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this morning, we're in particular going to focus in on this idea of self-awareness. And before anyone tries to say like, Aaron, we're not supposed to be self-centered. Remember, Jesus said, less of me and more of you. And that is true, and we're going to get into that. But I want to talk this morning about this idea of a healthy dose of self-awareness and how having a healthy dose of self-awareness can make us better followers of Jesus and better lovers of our neighbors. But we have to go back to the very beginning to understand this idea of how were we intentionally created? How is our identity shaped from the very beginning? So in uh, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and you're going to find if you want to open up, I'm going to be reading some scriptures today. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can open up. If not, it's going to be on the screen behind me. But in Genesis chapter 1, this is after God has created every uh, thing. He's created the heavens, the earth. He's created the, the, the sky and the water and the land and the animals. And, and then he gets to mankind. And it says this, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And he ends actually his creation. Every day, he pretty much always ends by saying it was good. And when he finishes creating us, he says it was very good. Now, we know that we live in a time that's post-fall. We live in a time where by nature there is this sinfulness inside of us, this brokenness inside of us. But if we go back to the very beginning, we realize that we are created in the image of God, that we are created with deep value in beauty, surely because our God created us in a way that he didn't create anything else. He didn't create animals in his image. He didn't create uh, the, 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 the sun or the moon, even though sometimes you can see kind of a person's face, which can be creepy sometimes, right? Uh, but nothing else is created in the image of God other than us. There's something that he created us as sort of the masterpiece of all of his creation. And it's the one thing that he is trying to engage, even though I know All Dogs Go to Heaven is a great movie, and I'm not going to get into the theological ideas of whether or not animals are in heaven, but I can say this with great clarity and great confidence, that God still cares about humanity more than he cares about anything else in creation. Even though sometimes, let's be honest, there are dogs that we like more than other humans, which isn't right, but we know that's true. Maybe not cats, but um, anyway, sorry, I just made some enemies. St. Augustine, who is one of the early church fathers, uh, who was a great uh, theologian, a great thinker, who uh, shaped a lot of early Christianity, wrote this uh, kind of classic work that's oftentimes known as his confessionals. And in his uh, confessions, he, he said, uh, he, he actually gets pretty raw. It's really awesome. It's, his vulnerability is really refreshing. So if you ever want to try to read through it. But he said this. He said, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self. 
How can we draw, how can we, uh, how can we draw close to God when we're far from our own self? Now, I don't think St. Augustine, uh, was some sort of person who bought into the modern sense of like, find yourself and then you will find everything. He wasn't all about self or about becoming this great, uh, you know, sort of perfected place where you almost don't need God. What I think he is really getting at is this idea that so many of us want to draw close to God, but we don't want to even begin with looking at who we are created to be. It's almost like we want to get beyond what's going on in our own heart, our motivations, our fears, and we want to skip over and not even do the work. Now, again, I don't think what he's saying, and I'm definitely not saying, is that there's some sort of thing where we don't start with Christ first. But I think he's trying to say is this idea that we must begin to figure out who did God create us to be at first. Because I do believe this. I believe that we honor God by growing into who God created us to be. That, 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 that each and every one of us are a combination of both beauty and brokenness, of strengths and weaknesses, of, of things that are in a beautiful way that God has created us to be, and we're already living that out. And some of us who were still, well, I'm not going to say some of us, all of us who still have sinful nature that God is trying to get rid of. Now, here's both the good and the bad news, right? We will never arrive. We will never get to a place of perfection this side of heaven. That we're going to constantly, and that's this reality of why we are constantly going to need a Savior. But this idea that, if you think about it, if, if we think of God as an artist, and we think of God as an artist, and that if we as his creation, created in his image, are the top echelon of all his creation, we are terrible stewards of the gift that he has, of how he's created us, if we don't begin to try to get better if we don't begin to work through this idea of self-awareness and understanding ourselves. And, and I want to kind of define and, and help us understand this idea. I want to talk real quick about the difference between being self-absorbed and self-aware. Because the issue is sometimes you'll find um, pastors, preachers, uh, thought leaders who try to combine this idea of like, let's take like self-help books and then kind of weave Jesus in a little bit. And that's not what I'm talking about here. Self-absorption is where it becomes all about becoming this perfected self for one's own benefit. Self-absorption is all about me. Sometimes we call it narcissism. And it's all about if I could just tighten up this weak spot, then I will arrive and I will be good. Self-awareness on the other uh, end, especially from a Christ follower standpoint, is this idea of having a conscious knowledge of one's character, feelings, motives, and desires. And here's the reality. Some of our motives and our desires are very Christ-like and some of them are not. I don't know about you, but I am, for one, really glad uh, that people can't see the desires of my heart. Because probably a lot of people wouldn't like me. I'm really glad that, 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 that God is still working on my own motivations. Because as much as I would like to say all of my motivations are to love others and just serve God, that would be a lie. And I think most of us would be honest in saying that too. And so... Why are we going to talk a little bit about this? I believe that, again, if we could work on having a healthy dose of self-awareness as, as a Christ follower, we could better connect with God and we could better love our neighbors. And so let's dive into a little bit more scripture. I want to read a verse from Psalm 139. And, and, and the words aren't going to be up on the screen. You can write it down if you have notes or you can open it up. 
But I love the words that David has here when he, he begins to sort of talk about God's relationship with our creation, with his creation, and our hearts and our souls. And so uh, if, if you want to close your eyes as I read this and just picture this however you want, uh, I love this. This is a little bit longer verse. I'm just going to be honest with you. This is from Psalm 139. It just says this, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, there you are. If I make my bed in the depths, there you are. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even when your hand guide me, Your right hand will hold me fast. So if I say, surely the darkness will hide me from the light becoming night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you, and the night will shine the day, for the darkness is as light to you. Now this is where I think it gets extra, extra good. He says this, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame is not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, my eyes saw, you, your eyes saw my unformed body. All of the day, all of my days were ordained for me. They were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Where to count them? They would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. I love the, the imagery of the poetry of David's writing in Psalms. Because if you picked up there, he's talking about this reality of how God knows us so well. How God knows our motives. He knows our inmost thought. That, that he, he knew us before we were even a thought of anyone else here on earth. And what it tells us to me is it tells us about a God who really wants to know us. I mean, think about that for just a second. If we think about God in his nature and his character. Some people sometimes miscategorize God as this God who set things in motion and then just kind of pieced out. Who sort of started this little experiment called, you know, the earth and then just sort of said, right, I'm out. And that he doesn't really care. He's distant. He's vengeful. He's full of wrath. And yet when we read something like that, we're reminded that the God of all the universe, who placed the stars in the sky, who, who, who parted the Red Seas, who made dry bones come to life, who sent his one and only son, and whose power was so powerful that not even death could hold his son down, that God wants to know you and me. That God knows every thought we have, every motivation, every fear. And so when I think about this idea of self-awareness, what I think about is if it's important to God, it should be important to us. If it's important to God, it should be important to us. And that means knowing our own fears, our own motivations, our own thoughts. It means knowing our neighbor's motivations, fears, and thoughts. Not so that we lose a focus on God, but the reality is, again, if we go back to the most important command, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. When we look at how Jesus talks about judgment, which we never really like to talk about in church, almost all the things he talks about in judgment has to do with how we engage and how we respond 
to other people. It's about our motivations. It's about our, our heart cries. And so I think this is important. Now, you might see on the screen some numbers. There's nine numbers, and you might see that sort of the tagline of this series is the Enneagram, the soul, and the way that we relate to one another. Now, we're not going to focus deeply on this thing called the Enneagram, but I want to take a little bit of time, and if you have the journal, you're going you're gonna to find some information about that. The Enneagram is just a personality assessment tool. How many of you guys have ever done, how many of you guys have done or heard of the Enneagram before? Because I've seen some in here. How many of you guys maybe have done... Um, uh, Myers-Briggs or the DISC, or there's so many, right? These things are, are not necessarily um, new. Some of them come and some of them go. Um, and all of them, for the most part, try to help people uh, when they're used in a healthy manner, tries to help them understand some of their strengths and their weaknesses. It tries to help them understand some of their inner working. But one of the things, when I was introduced to the Enneagram uh, a year or two ago, one of the things that I found really interesting about it is it types people in kind of a nine way, uh, nine, nine different personality types, which again, if you read through these, if you take a test, like all of these things, for some of you, you're going to read it and you're going to find a type that you identify with and you're going to be like, yes, this is me. And some of you are going to say, this is not me at all. And some test type things uh, you might like. Some people I know are all about the Myers-Briggs, and some people hate it. Some people like the disc, and some people don't like them. This isn't the important thing. Every personality test has its strengths and weaknesses. But one of the things that I think is interesting about the Enneagram that, that, that has a little bit of a gift is whether or not you buy into the different motivations, how they kind of categorize things is that each type has core fears, motivations, and desires. And so one of the cool things is where a lot of personality assessments tend to focus on external things, things like this person tends to be an uh, excellent communicator, or this person is a great organizer, or this person uh, tends to think really analytically. Uh, this tries to go into the internal motivations of why. And some of it has to do with maybe some of your, you know, both your nurture and your nature, and so it's really interesting, you know, again, each, each type has its different thing. And, and if, you, if you go through and do these, uh, realize this, there's no type, there's no thing that's better than any other, and, and a type does not define you. Uh, here's what's really important, I think, with all personality assessments is this, is that personality assessment type things can help us discover some of the, the small bits of who we are, but the reality is that the gospel of Jesus Christ shows us whose we are. And that at the end of the day, whose we are will always trump who we are, and that we can spend far too much time trying to invent ourselves and figure out who we are, and at the end of the day, the most important piece that we're ever going to have as an identity is son or daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But I think it's deeply important in its worthy work as followers of Jesus to work through things like different assessments and to try to become more self-aware. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5, it says, the purpose of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insights draws them out. Now, Proverbs is a book of wisdom, and I love what he says there. Let's be honest. We as people, we're deep, right? Uh, maybe not all of us and maybe not all the time, but the reality is we're full of complex things. Our family of origin, our, our just sort of natural gifts and abilities, every single one of us, too, has, has predispositions, I believe, towards different sins. You know, it's why there's some people where you might see them and say, I don't understand why they're struggling with that, because that's not a struggle for you, and, and vice versa. There's some people where we don't get, why can't they just figure out this strength, and that's not a strength of theirs, and it's a strength of yours. 
But I think there's something important about one who is wise will seek to draw out the insights. Will not allow their weaknesses to be an excuse for sin. Will not allow, uh, will not just take their strengths and put them aside, but will use them for the good of the kingdom of God. Now, Paul in the book of Romans wrote something, and this comes from the message kind of paraphrase translation. I like the way that he puts this. He says, and maybe some of you can relate to this. What I don't understand about myself is that if I decide one way, but then I act another, I do things I absolutely despise. How many, how many of you can relate to that? How many can relate to the fact that there are times where if we're really honest, we do things, we feel certain ways, and we just say, I don't know why I did that. I, I, I struggle with this sometimes. There's times where I sit and ever, you, know, you ever get mad and you're not even sure why you're mad? You know, you sit back and you're like, did I, did I get mad at someone before? Is it, is it the lack of sun? And I think though Paul uh, reminds us here this idea that it's okay not to know everything and not to have everything all together. Because he goes on in, in this verse in particular and reminds us this fact that, that, that we will always need Jesus to be our Savior. We'll never get to a place where we'll fully understand ourselves, where we'll fully arrive. And so, you know, another gift is something that we can uh, tap into, and I encourage you to look into. How many of you guys have ever heard of EQ before? EQ stands for emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence differs from IQ. IQ is something that, 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 that what you got from the get-go is what you got. You can't work on having a higher IQ. IQ is about retaining information and knowledge and understanding certain things. EQ, on the other hand, is about emotions. And it has to do with this idea of how do I understand and manage my own emotions? How do I, how do I be able to understand why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling? And then how do I deal with that in a healthy way? And then also, how do I understand and manage other people's emotions? EQ is something that I, I learned about about five or six years ago, and it's been a huge gift to me. Uh, a friend, a pastor friend of mine, uh, had spent many years working in corporate America doing uh, emotional intelligence stuff. And he, he talks, he gives this great example that you can use in your own life where he talks about um, the, the, the issue of when we're making things up. And so his example would be he sees his friend in the grocery store and he totally forgot that his friend asked him to move. Uh, and so he didn't make it, and he sees his friend in the grocery store, and he waves at his friend, and his friend doesn't even respond and just keeps going. And he begins to make up in his head, right? Oh, he's so mad at me because I didn't help him move. And what he didn't realize is that he was coming out of this place of fear and not knowing all the story, when in reality his friend hadn't even seen him, hadn't thought about it, and just had to get back uh, to make it in time for a certain dinner party. How many of you would be honest and say, sometimes you make things up in your head, the worst-case scenario of... Oh, gosh, they hate me because X, Y, Z. That's the gift of emotional intelligence. When we begin to try to uh, figure out why do we feel a certain way, why do we think other people feel uh, certain ways. And now we can't figure out everything for ourselves. And we can't figure out everything for other people. So that's why we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why God called him the great counselor. But we can do the work. And what's cool about EQ is it's something that uh, if you want some resources or books, there's ways in which we can grow in uh, EQ in a better way, where we can learn some practices to become more self-aware. But Paul would go on in chapter 12 of Romans, and he would say this. He would say, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. 
And he goes on by saying, for the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think more highly than you ought to of yourselves, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that is distributed to each one of us. Now, the way I interpret that is two ways. One, you ain't all that. So quit thinking you're all that. But number two, I think what he's saying is that when it comes to sober judgment, there's this reality that as followers of Jesus, we should be trying to sort out how we are and who we are. And some of that takes work. Sometimes when we pray prayers to God saying, God, help me understand this, I think sometimes what he's saying is, listen, I might not send a light with a little report for you about all your inmost being. Some of this is going to take work for some of you. Some of it's going to be reading and spending more time in prayer. Some of it may be seeing a counselor. Some of it may be uh, talking to trusted friends or your spouse and helping you understand. Because one of the gifts of self-awareness, I still think, is the reality that, you know what? We don't have to continually fall prey to the same temptations. Jesus taught us to pray, uh, keep me far from temptation. Well, some of God's way of keeping us far from temptation is understanding what tempts us. It's having boundaries in our lives. It's recognizing situations, people, triggers in our life that send us into a place in which we are not living out who God created us to be. It's also understanding the reality that there are gifts that God has given us that some of us right now, if I'm honest, we're sitting on gifts that God wants us to use. And for some of us, it's because we haven't realized, we haven't done the work to foster those gifts to uh, make them grow in a better way. Let me leave you with two more things. I really believe this, that Jesus can transform you into who you're created to be, but you must first understand whose you are. That at the very end of the day, all of it goes back to this idea when we live out a life in which we are thinking through who we were created to be in the very beginning. We recognize that as sons and daughters, we were not created to live in bondage to sin. We were not created to live in in shame and darkness, but we were created to live in the house of our Father, to sit at his table. Not because we have it all together, not because we're fully worthy, but because Jesus came to transform our lives. He didn't come to just uh, fix uh, behaviors and, and different things like that. He didn't come so we could be our best person now. He came so we could be transformed as sons and daughters to live out a life that would give us a great opportunity to love our neighbors as ourselves and to better connect with the God of all the universe. But so much of that comes from a place of doing the work, of going through this thing that sometimes we might refer to as holiness. And holiness isn't this holier-than-thou thing. Holiness, sometimes we talk about as this process, it's sort of like how you eat an elephant, one bite at a time, right? And that through holiness, part of holiness, I believe, is Developing a healthy sense of self-awareness. I'll leave you with one last quote from St. Augustine. He said this, Grant me, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. That the more we can understand our inner workings, I think the more we can take away distractions, sin and barriers in our life that keep us in our internal soul working areas, our way of being able to connect with our Heavenly Father. And then also to be able to love and connect to our neighbors. I believe that when we work through a healthy dose of self-awareness, we will love people more generously and we will connect to Christ in a closer way. I'm going to ask us to stand and we're going to close out with uh, a song. And here's my hope and prayer. My hope and prayer is that some of us would begin to think through 
and commit to this idea of beginning to do some of the hard work of looking deep into our soul and allow God to begin some of the process of removing some of the things inside of us that lead us astray. But it'll also help us understand how we were created. It'll help us begin to find a place where God is going to say, listen, I know that you're afraid that if you show me this dark spot that I'm going to be afraid and he has a plan for it. And I also think some of us are worried that if we show him the thing that is this great gift that we have, we're going to have to use it. I got, I got some news for you. He already knows about it and he already has a plan to use it. And so my hope and prayer is that you would leave this place knowing that the God of all the universe loves you for who you are, but he loves you far too much to leave you exactly where you are. Pray with me. God, I thank you so much for the fact that God, you did create us from the very beginning. God, long before we were a thought here on earth, God, you created us in your image with value, with purpose, with a plan. God, I pray that we could begin to do the difficult work of developing more self-awareness. But God, not in a way that it's about us, but God, that it's in a way that it's about you and it's about others. God, that it's not about becoming this this finished product. It's not about becoming this successful, great person. God, but it's about this way that we can better connect with you and we can better love our neighbors. God, I pray this morning that God, for some who maybe this is their first time to church in a while, God, I pray that they would hear a message from you this morning right now, that they are deeply and desperately loved. That, God, their past failures don't define them. That, God, their successes in life don't define them. But, God, that the the love that they can experience through your son, Jesus Christ, that is what defines them. That you are a father who is waiting for them to come home. Not to scold them, but to embrace them. Not to judge them, but to love them. So, God, I pray this morning that they would know that, God, maybe that this could be a day where everything changes. And they could just reach out to you and ask, Lord, would you forgive my sinful ways? Would you forgive me for being distant? And, God, would you just take over as Lord of my life? God, would you begin to transform my heart and my mind and my soul? God, I pray that if if anyone did that this morning, God, that they would know that there is a party in heaven this morning for them. God, as we sing... God, as we worship, God, whatever you want to say to us, would we be ready to receive it through our ears and through our hearts? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.